So this was my first real experience with backpackers, and I just love their lifestyle. I love the fact that they had managed to figure out this secret to traveling that I didn't know existed. Hello, this is Andy Steves with the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. I'm glad to have you with us. I have an incredible interview with Matt Kepnes, better known as Nomadic Matt, one of the most famous and one of my favorite travel bloggers around, as seen on CNN, BBC, Lifehacker, and so many other websites out there. He shares some of his insights and tips on how to run a travel blog from around the world, how to bring on employees. I hope you enjoyed and let us know what you think about it in the comments and of course, Give us a like if you like it. Thanks a million and happy travels. Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. Episode 3. All right, it's Andy Steves here with the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. I'm so happy and excited to have my friend Matt on board with us. It's just not Matt, it's Nomadic Matt, um, and the uh, world-famous backpacker, traveler, extraordinaire, all-around uh, travel aficionado. So I'm so glad to be able to connect with you, Matt, and uh, I'm excited for this conversation. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me on your brand-new podcast. You got it, man. Um, right now, you're in Austin these days, right? Uh, yeah, I live here when I'm not on the road. Was that a big transition for you? Because you've always been on the road. I can only imagine that that was a big transition from from being on the road constantly to finally putting some roots down. Yeah, it took a while to for the roots to set. You know, I mean, I I moved to New York. I left New York. I moved back to New York. I stayed a little longer, left. You know, it, and then I went to Austin. Here I've been for a year. Uh, it's not an easy transition, but it happened. It just took a little while for the roots to grab into the ground. Yeah, I figure as much. It's, uh, you know, people like us, we have the, um, the curse of seeing all these beautiful corners of the planet, right? And so where the heck do you, how do you pick one to, to spend all your time? I mean, at any given moment, I'm loving that I'm here in Seattle, but I wish I was on, you know, the, the, the beaches in Sicily or skiing in the Alps or, um, you know, river rafting in Thailand, whatever it might be. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way a little bit. Yeah, I always have wanderlust. Once you get bitten, you can never get rid of it. I'm always like looking up flights and seeing what, um, what's going on and looking at deals. Sure. Sure. Well, just from a, uh, on a selfish level, I'm excited to ask you a few questions I have because you have all sorts of content out there. You have all sorts of media. Can you just give us a, just a short background on yourself and where we can find more information about you just to kind of fill out your background here? Well, I started traveling in 2004. I went to, to Costa Rica on a tour, got, fell in love with travel, and then had to do it again. So went to Thailand the following year and met a couple of backpackers. And this was my first real experience with backpackers, and I just love their lifestyle. I love the fact that they had managed to figure out this secret to traveling that I didn't know existed. You know, this ability to travel long-term on the cheap. Were they Australian? They were actually Canadians. Canadians, okay. 
And so fast forward to 2006, I'm on a trip around the world. And that's been about 10 years now. I came home from that trip and then decided to leave again right away. Just a couple days at home and you're like, get me the heck out of here. Yeah, you know, I, went, I, I plopped back down in a cubicle and realized the whole world had stayed the same while I had changed. And, um, well, I couldn't really deal with that. I, so I did what any normal person would do. I bought a one-way flight back to Europe and went back on the road, ended up back in Asia teaching again. Um, and then, yeah, started building the website in 2008. And um, here we are today. So that's eight years ago. Wow. You know, there, that is a transition from just backpacking for fun and, and not having to care in the world and being on vacation to backpacking for fun, of course, but also supporting yourself on the road. Was that a clear, distinct decision on your part or did that just kind of happen step by step and organically? Uh, you know, it was very accidental. Um, somebody once called me the accidental traveler uh, as well as the accidental blogger. And I think that's very true. I just sort of went way by way, you know, I mean, one thing just led to the other. I mean, I had no intention of ever doing any of this. I just wanted to make money to keep traveling. Um, I had no long-term goals or strategy or whatever. I mean, I started trying to build websites for ad revenue simply because I thought, hey, you could do that from anywhere. So why not do that from anywhere? And, you know, I'm fascinated by that because I'm listening to, I get my news on podcasts, but I also listen to a ton of entrepreneurs and um, just kind of movers and shakers in, in whatever industry. And it sounds like if you want to live life on the road, creating these websites that can, uh, you know, um, generate a passive income uh, are, are really a, a good way or popular way to do it. It just feels like that must be so much easier said than done. Uh, it's very much easier said than done. I mean, back in 2008, you could easily create websites for passive income and, you know, people would click ads. And the whole landscape with Google and how ads work and consumers has changed. So you really can't do that now. You actually have to create something that people want. You know, I mean, back in the day, you could put up five pages of long content on training dogs and with a couple of magical links, rank high for how to train a dog. And uh, now Google looks at that and goes, that's obvious spam and you'll never get anywhere. How has the, um, I guess, the business of Nomadic Matt shifted since 2008? I mean, so many things have changed. Yeah, I mean, when I like I said, when I started, I didn't really focus on the website for a couple of years into it. But, you know, I mean, the shift of the website, you know, went from just trying to make money to creating um, products through writing books and then doing guides. And now we're you know, shifting into a, a very community oriented website um, that provides sort of a support network for budget travelers. So I think as I've changed and I learned more about business and as the website grows and the needs of the community changes, we change in response to that. I mean, now I have three full-time employees. I mean, I started this, you know, in a hostel and in Asia, you know, just off with, with a laptop, right? Yeah, I still work only from a laptop. So 
Yeah, same here. I mean, I couldn't, I just love that mobility. When I'm home, I tend to work out of a, a coffee shop down the way. Um, but otherwise, you know, I might be answering emails on a sailboat in, in Copenhagen or catching up on emails in a hostel in uh, in Bali. I mean, it's just, I love how mobile technology has, has really facilitated uh, a select few, a lucky few to get out of the office and, and work for themselves remotely. Computers have done wonders for um, the world in terms of allowing people that kind of mobility. And it's become more and more easier for people who work in regular offices to sort of create flexible hours. And I think that trend is something that's only going to continue. Currently, I have actually have an employee who's on one of those work away programs in Bali as we speak. And of course, as a boss who who needs productivity from his teammates, I was a little bit skeptical of for at first, but it seems like to be a very popular way for people to get out there and work from halfway around the world. As long as you're fortunate to be able to to have flexible hours, it seems like a great experience. So you have you have three employees. Are they all remote as well? Or are they in uh, are they in Austin? Uh, they're all remote. One lives in Sweden, one lives in Michigan, and one lives in New York. Do you have such a thing as a routine? I have no day-to-day. My calendar is always changing. I mean, I have calls. I, I get, go to meetings. I have different projects to do. Um, sometimes I'm on the road. I don't work when I travel, so that's always a, a fun thing. I write because I enjoy writing, but I don't do the heavy lifting. Obviously, the quality content on your website is what makes your your brand uh, stand out. There's, of course, the massive corporate networks out there like Condé Nast or Travel and Leisure. But then underneath that, of course, you have kind of the individual travel bloggers. Is there anything that you think differentiates you from all the other stuff out there? I thought it was my pretty face, but <laughs> I guess, you know, since you're talking about content, maybe it's content. I would say that without being too egotistical uh, about it all. I would say that some things that have really helped me is uh, I run in search engines um, and I network outside of travel a lot. So I become the travel person for a lot of non-travel industries. So that helps get me media and, and such. This episode is brought to you by Weekend Student Adventures. Experience Europe like a local. WSA offers three-day and 10-day break trips for students and budget travelers to Europe's most exciting cities. Skip the line at the top sites, get off the beaten path, and connect with locals on WSA's urban adventures. Ready for the city list? Edinburgh, Dublin, London, Amsterdam, Paris, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, Florence, Venice, Berlin, Budapest, Krakow, and Prague. Just show up at the hostel and we take it from there. You can find all the details online at wsaeurope.com. Happy travels. One thing that I've definitely noticed in newsletter, blog posts, Facebook, you tend to bare your soul. I mean, you're you're you don't seem to hesitate much to really share about your feelings, your your mood, if you're feeling, you know, optimistic and happy. And then other times, you know, you've had the passing of a friend or uh, running out of steam, you know, on the road or just needing to take some time off. I find that gives it your content a personal touch that maybe a lot of other writers might be too reserved to share. Did that just kind of come naturally? Well, I think as a blogger, uh, you have to be a little bit more personal. People don't follow 
you the way they follow brands. People follow personalities online. Um, so they want to feel relatable to that personality. I mean, if you just read any blogger, whether it's a travel blogger or a fashion blogger, you feel a connection to that person. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you can relate to them on an emotional level. And that, as a writer, requires you to sort of bear your soul. I mean, most writers bear their soul one way or the other. Um, whereas if you're, you know, if you're writing for the New York Times travel section, people have a different expectation of how information is going to be presented. It's less about the, you know, creating that emotional connection. I mean, how many writers for National Geographic or the Times can somebody on the street name? But they could probably name your dad or they can name me or Bourdain because, like, those are personalities. And why you follow individual people is much different than why you follow brands. Mm -hmm. So your advice to aspiring travel bloggers or writers would be to, to embrace that those um, those feelings, because I bet that's where you find a good deal of your inspiration, too. When when you're backpacking, you go through the whole range of emotions, don't you? You know, you're, you're, you're like ecstatic, super happy, making friends left and right. And then other times you go through a, a, a low, a quiet couple days. And man, your, your mood can shift if it's just you on the road in an unfamiliar setting, right? Yeah, exactly. So... I mean, as a writer, you need to be able to discern that. You need to be able to, you know, not just write a negative review because you're bummed that you didn't meet any friends in the hostel, right? That doesn't take away from the hostel itself or the destination. Um, so you have to learn to be objective with your feelings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you started writing you were you were essentially a nobody i mean you hadn't established the brand yet um at what point did you start getting recognition from say venues or do restaurants or hostels have you come out and stay for the purpose of you writing a review does that happen well first off my mother has always call, called me somebody so I've always been somebody. Of course, of course. <laughs> let, let me rephrase it. When, when you could count your, your website visits in the single or double digits in a day. It took a while to get going. It probably took like a year and a half. I had the benefit of being able to say like I started early. I have that benefit. You know, so someone who started early, there was less competition. But I think to your point of like when did like things start to change – you know, it was a couple of years after I got featured in the New York Times. Um, and that, that did a lot for, for me in terms of growth. And that's when I think people started paying attention. People look at numbers. Um, and so being able to rank so highly is um, always a, a good blessing uh, because that increases a ton of my traffic. You know, they look at top 100 lists and they see me as number one. Um, and that really helps get attention and focus on my blog from hostels and tour groups and everybody in the industry asking me to come check them out. Because um, I'm, I'm going through uh, a similar experience where, well, at least in my experience, I feel like I'm kind of leapfrogging. You know, you, you get no from just about every uh, media outlet out there. And then, you know, say the, the local newspaper might might 
put in a blurb and then you can reference that to the next biggest city's uh, newspaper and then they can get you on a regional uh, TV station. And, you know, it just feels like as soon as you get one little opportunity to build on that makes things um, happen a lot uh, smoother uh, down the line. It's kind of like uh, building that momentum. Yeah, it, it only takes one and one begets the second, which begets the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. You know, and the more journalists see your name mentioned, the more they're willing to mention you. Uh, you know, journalists have a set of people they go for quotes, right? They know the experts and they're okay with that. So you sort of have to build your way into that, that room by starting at like the ground floor. Start small and move up and you, you'll see a lot of, of growth, you know? I mean, if you can't get the nationals, go for the local and then parlay that into the state and then the region and then national. And plus all along the way, they're linking to you. So, you know, you're getting, you're getting these links from these reputable sources. So it's also great for SEO. And those are valuable. Those are worthwhile for sure. Your website, people can come and check out the blogs, of course, and resources, travel tips. I, I use it myself when I'm going to these new destinations I've never been. And I, I really appreciate your uh, concise recommendations. I think that's huge these days where you can get concise information from a source that you trust. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I have eight destination guides that people can purchase to cities and countries around the world. Um, you know, they're, they're good for PDFs, Kindles, iPads, whatever, whatever you got. Um, and then I have a number of guides for specific topics, as well as my print um, book, How to Travel the World on $50 a Day. And then people can buy a number of blogging courses as, or book their travels through my site. And that's really how I monetize. It's such a one, one challenge that I encounter in my business is I feel like there's so many variables out there as to what leads someone to actually purchase one of my travel packages or uh, or or my book, for example, um, because there's so many First off, there's so many different options out there. How do they find your website? Do they check you know, flight prices somewhere else before they book on your website? It just feels like there's so many variables where you might be busting your butt and the returns aren't linear, right? You're, you're going to be doing as many interviews and as many blog entries as it takes um, just to, you know, just to get that information out there. And it doesn't always come straight back to you. In fact, it, it very rarely does, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's not a linear path, and so it takes, you know, you put all this stuff out there, and you, like, can't track everything, but word gets around, people bookmark it, forward it on, and it builds up over time. For sure. And, you know, in your case, it, it takes a few years, and then all of a sudden, you're the go-to travel resource for New York Times. It's That's not a bad uh, story. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is a long um, process. It used, you know, it used to be quicker. Now it's not so quick, unless you hit sort of like the viral lottery um, on the internet, where suddenly like you do something cool and everybody shares it, and people write about you, and suddenly you build that as a way to sort of jumpstart your following. Otherwise, it's it's a long process. Mm -hmm. And and really, you can't 
get in it with the purpose of making money. You can't get into the travel industry with the goal of getting, you know, famous. From the outside, it looks glamorous, but it takes serious discipline and vision and um, serious business know-how to, to make anything work in the travel industry because margins are thin and, and there's just so much competition out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a, you're in it for the long haul. If your goal is to make money, you won't make money. If your goal is to build something credible, you'll make money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it can't. It has to be in that order. It can't be the other way around. You have to be willing to put in the time and, and uh, blood, sweat, and tears, that's for sure. Definitely. So I like to make reservations far in advance so that I can just go through my vacation or my work travel, whatever it might be, without having to spend not even a minute in the day worrying about where I'm going to sleep tomorrow night. You know, and I, I understand that that's not everybody's style, but that's definitely my style. And I know that by by locking in all those reservations ahead of time, I'm gaining efficiency, but I'm sacrificing independence. Where do you fall on that spectrum of preferring complete spontaneity and flexibility versus running the risk of having to wait in line for hours at the Coliseum or the Eiffel Tower or the Anne Frank House? Um, when I travel, I sort of plan out a, a general uh, itinerary like okay if I'm going to Paris I want to do these five things and then I, I let the days fill themselves in um, but you know if I if I know I'm going to something that creates a long line I might say okay like if I'm going to Paris Monday through Friday you know, I don't really want to wait in the three-hour line for um, the catacombs I'll like schedule quote-unquote uh, to go there like early Wednesday morning when I know the line is the least or I'll like pre-book the Louvre or something um, just so I avoid some of those lines but generally I just let the days fill in and I'll sit in line you know of course like I try to hit the big things early in the morning before the line gets too long I'm a morning person anyway so I don't mind waking up or I'll go during lunch when all the tour groups are now at lunch and then suddenly there's no line you know, at noon, uh, when everyone's eating, the line for the Louvre gets really short. And then at like 1.30, it's long again. Or Versailles, like Versailles is killer in the morning because all, like, all the tour groups bang it out on the, like, the first thing they do. And so if you don't get there with the pre-booked time, you're going to wait crazy mm, line. I can, I can only imagine. But so that goes for you on both kind of local experiences like seeing important sites like that and also uh, ho hostel or hotel reservations and flights, etc. Well, you know, when it comes to, to all that stuff, I usually will book the first couple of nights and then wing it. Um, nowadays, you can always find something online. And... You know, I, I tend to just book last minute. I mean, I, I'll book the first couple of nights in a destination so I make sure that I have a place to stay. But I want to be tied there for five nights if it's terrible. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's that's the question I always have. Am I, um, uh, you know, I want to get a good deal in a popular place, in a good neighborhood, exciting neighborhood. I don't want to run the risk of it being sold out. And so I always end up just making my reservations. But um, but then towards the middle and end of the trip, then I allow a little bit of more flexibility. Now, I've never been one for mileage plans and getting credit cards for the point of getting miles to me it just seems like such a steep learning curve so much homework to do so much to keep track of um can you sell me on it yeah well i 
swear by a few cards. Um, the Chase Sapphire cards, whether it's the preferred or the reserve, are great. Um, for business, SPG, Star Wars Preferred Guest, the Star Wars credit card. Um, there's a host of them. It, it really depends on what your goals for travel are, uh, whether you want to earn points for a specific hotel or airline or just transferable points you can move around or you just want like 2% cash back. Uh, so it really depends on what your goals are with the card. Um, but you, no matter what card you get, you want to make sure there's no overseas fees. So you, you don't have to pay fees when you go travel. And then they actually add up and you can actually redeem them for, for flights. Yeah, I'm about to redeem uh, 85,000 points to fly first class to Dublin from Austin. Next there month. you go. That's the way to do it. You're not picking the uh, the warmest or the driest month, but uh, but it's Dublin. I got to go to a wedding. I don't really have much choice. Don't you hate that? How friends don't work around your schedule. <laughs> I hate, I totally hate it. They're being very very inconsiderate. <laughs> and um, when it comes to last minute deals, has there been any ridiculous finds or successes that you've had? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've gotten last-minute deals a ton of times. I think they're incredible and should not be overlooked. Like, yeah, it's probably a, a crazy fare class that's unswitchable and you're going to have to pay for seats and doesn't come with bags. But, you know, if you still add it up and it's amazing, then go for it. Go for right? it. Is there any, like, go-to resource that, that you love or you, that you monitor all the time just because you've had that ex uh, experience and success? Uh, Secret Flying is a really good website, um, as well as the the Flight Deal and Holiday Pirates. Those are your three go-to, huh? Yeah. Well, good stuff, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm uh, I'm with this is Nomadic Matt. And where can we look you up? Where can we find you? What what uh, websites and handles do you have? Uh, you can always find me at nomadicmatt.com or Nomadic Matt on any social media platform in the world. I'm pretty much brand consistent. So if you just Google Nomadic Matt, you shall find me. We'll definitely be following you. Thanks a million, man. Thanks again for listening. Find all show details, links, and tips at andysteves.com. You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Happy travels.